This is Sonic 16 Presents. everyone to another episode of the music and photography podcast i'm billy sanford and on this episode we have a couple of firsts first time with two guests first of those being bill manning hi bill how are you hey billy great to be on the show man absolutely and the other first is my first uh repeat victim that's uh <laughs> mike getterman Hey, Mike, how's it going? How you doing, Billy? It's a real uh, pleasure to be here again. You know, I feel like uh, I feel like I, I'm going to get like the the, uh, the smoker's jacket with the, the number two on it or something like, <laughs> that, you know, like uh, yeah, the, the, the robe, I guess, uh, uh, for being a repeat here. So, right. So that's number two work for. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I asked you two guys to jump on is so we could address this big controversy in the community uh maybe even bigger than uh, film versus digital but mike a, a while back you were sharing a picture of your jaguar guitar <laughs> i should say that you were about to replace the pickups on and bill you may have come in and suggested he should put some emgs in there and, yeah. and mike maybe you said that wasn't going to work and bill maybe you showed a picture of a jaguar with some emgs and implied yeah. that mike was sitting on the throne of lies i don't know so i'm just the peacekeeper here i just wanted to make nice and let's debate this out uh once well, and for all i love bill that we come from two schools of uh, of rock uh, you know, they, there's a school of rock, but there's two different classes. And uh, I think I am more in the, I hide behind a bunch of reverb and delay pedals to make it sound like I'm doing more. And uh, and uh, Bill plays uh, the death chugs. So, you know, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I could not put EMGs in my uh, in my Jaguar, but you could say the pickups I put in there were, in a sense, EMGs. They were electric Mike Guttermans. About that, <laughs> <laughs> but but for the record, your team single coil. Team, oh, team single coil, absolutely. Yeah, give me the give me the bite of a single coil. Yeah, and uh, Bill Bill wants that that you know, he wants his humbuckers to sound like his beard, uh, woolly and uh... <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no, like uh, like I aspire to be like Zach Wild, you know, just like just the beard here alone, just I gotta I gotta fulfill it, you know, along with the EMG eighty one eighty five combo, you know, there so you go, all the way. <laughs> That's there you right. go. There you go. Well, <laughs> sort of 
along these lines, we were talking just a little bit before we got started. And then, and of course, both of you guys were in the film photography podcasting game long before I was. And that was, you know, through negative positives and studio C41 is how I kind of got up to speed once I did jump in and Mike, you and I did talk before and you talked a good bit about your musical background, but Bill, you were talking with us some uh, before we hit the record button about your musical past. Kind of give us a little bit of, of your history and kind of how you came up through music. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I have a good friend from high school who's still keep in touch to this day. Hey, Bill, um, don't don't forget to mention the part where you uh, so made a deal with the devil because that's what metal music is all about. <laughs> don't, don't leave that part out of the story. Right. No, I'm, I'm part of the story where we kicked that devil's ass. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> the pick of destiny like there there was they didn't tell that story with me in it so they so right we'll have to tell that one <laughs> no i i uh, have a friend who uh he got into music way deeper than me right so like he went to like the atlanta institute for music and everything like he was like very well classically trained and everything he lived in the house like right behind me so like literally like dude teach me how to play guitar and everything he's like all right man i'll teach you and you know and so literally i'm like hopping the chain link fence with my guitar like uh, on my back and everything just for lessons and stuff like that after school and um you know and just kind of got really absorbed into prog metal and you know Metallica and all that and you know Dream Theater is like my biggest uh influence and uh, we just kind of taught me and I just kind of soaked it all in and so in high school started a band called Dying Breath and so we were a metal cover band you know we were we were really big into Iced Earth, Demons and Wizards, uh Blind Guardian those those were the the guys that you know we were really big into and so we just we had this you know goal in our minds we want to perform at the uh i think it was called earth fest and so it was like this you know just a whole bunch of high school musicians came together and put on a concert you know raised money and everything and so like that was our biggest goal and so uh we did a a set with uh metallica and iced earth covers and uh yeah that was, that was kind of uh a really exciting time you know as, as you guys probably remember from 2003 the the nightclub in i think it was rhode island that had burnt down from uh the concert of the pyrotechnics from great white and everything along those lines and so our drummer at the time what because it was literally like two months after that had this brilliant idea that you know when we play master of puppets that uh he was going to have his drumsticks on fire and so <laughs> So I was like, I don't know, man, this doesn't sound like a great idea. But for some reason, just leave it to the wacky ass drummer of the band to like come up with these crazy ideas, right? You know, so he he decided, okay, I'm gonna roll with it. So it's, it's concert the old, it's the old joke. Uh what uh what was the last famous last words of the drummer? Hey guys, I wrote a song last night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, essentially, he had these drumsticks soaking in Zippo lighter fluid for like that entire like three quarters of the set, and so Master Puppets came on, and you know he lit the sticks, bump, 
bum 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 and then when he goes to hit that snare the the head broke off and so you see this small little flame just like fly <laughs> off in behind our cabs and so we're sitting there going oh shit and so we're freaking out because we don't want this little you know drumstick head catching everything on fire so we're trying to put this fire out while playing master of puppets and <laughs> as this is all is happening um i can't remember which teacher was teacher comes up and like he's making our drummer put the fire out uh, while we're all trying to play and everything along those lines like we didn't stop like we continued through it right and after like amazingly no fire was started and everything and we, we finished master puppets and we finished the entire set and I just kept thinking, man, it's my senior year. I'm going to get expelled on my senior year. There goes college. I'm screwed, dude. This sucks, you know? And and I just remember the, the next morning dreading coming into school and just, like, freaking out because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be called into the administrators, like, literally, you know, uh, uh, first period, and I'm screwed, man. I'm done. And, like, people were like, man, that was badass. That was so metal and everything along those lines. And <laughs> uh, nothing happened, you know. And I, I graduated and continued on my, with my life. Uh, so that's, <laughs> we have video of it somewhere, uh, you know. So uh, one of those days it will uh, come back to haunt me. But uh, that that's kind of like my big crazy story. You know, after that, you know, I never really joined any bands after that. It just came kind of became like a just an enjoyment and you know, definitely geeked out about the gear. You know, I had rack effects. I had, a, you know, what was it? The TT Electronic G Major. And so I was like really into the techie side of music and everything. So like there's definitely a, you know, a gear syndrome uh, that I certainly shared between uh music and, and film photography for me or photography in general so I definitely carried over but you know i still got my guitars here on the wall and you know a day will come by and i'm just yeah, going to pull it down and i got a little amp over here that you know i haven't turned on in a couple months but you know every once in a while i'll pick it up and just kind of play it but you know sadly i don't play it as much as i used to but yeah my uh high school guitar uh, over here does have the EMG 8185 setup, an Ibanez RG, <laughs> typical metal guitar, and everything along those lines. Uh, hold on. Right. Any uh, similar stories from your club days, Mike? <laughs> uh, well, crazy stories? Not really. Most of my uh, stories are me. Uh, uh, oh, there it is. That's yeah. That, that metal. That's very metal. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, there's the EMG sets, right? Yeah. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so sorry, I had a had a show off. So, um, <laughs> I haven't played it in a while, and it, it needs rewiring, and the, the whole thing is kind of falling apart on me, and everything along those lines. So, but uh, I'll never get rid of this guitar because it was it was the one that uh, it was my first love. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a, a, a real story. Uh, most of my stage experience is me uh, being uh, nervous as I'll get out, uh, literally <laughs> to the point where when, right before I get on stage, my hands would start shaking real bad. And I was mm -hmm. like, this is not going to make those notes real easy to play. And uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I usually didn't start enjoying myself uh, at a show till 
uh, till about the the last uh, song, and then I would start actually kind of enjoying it. But and then and then by the time I enjoy it, it's over. That's kind of the way all my stage experiences went went. But I did have one instance where we were um, my, la- my band Sea Hero. We were playing this big show, and uh, a buddy of mine was a video a videographer, and he was gonna like video the show real professionally and and like get you know really good audio off the board and everything. And and we would have like videos we could put up on YouTube to promote the band and stuff. Well, this. <laughs> So there were, so there was these lights kind of sh- extra lights shining on us to help with his video lighting or whatever. And, uh, and there was a projection screen behind us. It was, it was a big production. Right. And, right. and this drunk guy, the entire show with this big uh, cowboy hat <laughs> got in front of us the entire time. And his cowboy hat was casting this big shadow all over us the entire time. <laughs> as he walked in front of the stage and like danced really drunkenly the entire time, pretty much ruined the video. And then like, then on top of that, I'm playing this song and we're in this really kind of heavy part of it. And I'm really trying to concentrate, but I notice he's over there and he's starting to put moves on my wife out the crowd. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, this is, this is not good. Cause uh, I'm getting ready to jump off the stage. I have a guitar and it would hurt if I hit him with it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, a different term of acts. <laughs> right. Uh, but luckily, one of my buddies uh, who happened to be in the crowd and this guy is a mammoth dude. And like he is like my height, but like twice my width. And uh, so uh, but and just like you wouldn't want to mess with this guy. Right. Uh, all of a sudden, I see him walk over to the dude and and then it's almost like he was magically levitated out of the out of the crowd like uh, i think he picked him up with one hand and next thing i know i never saw him again so <laughs> but from from the stage it almost looked like he just was floating out, away out of the crowd out of the building so it was pretty uh, pretty impressive but uh right. yeah <laughs> oh wow so uh, and this is this is actually a good kind of segue because you know in all seriousness the reason i wanted i did want to talk to you guys i know you've been friends for a long time but you went beyond film photography podcasting into other arenas that allowed you to be creative and also still be engaged with the community and and they happen to have you know a relation to film uh, photography and to music so i thought it would be a great fit and so, Bill, of course, you know, I, I don't claim that this podcast is strictly about film photography, but I suspect that a lot of people listening are into film photography. Many of them will be at least a little bit familiar with uh, Atlanta Film Co. But just for the record, why don't you tell us, you know, kind of what you were noticing about the Atlanta community that kind of sparked the original idea and how it all got started? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely very interesting, the transition from Studio C41 to, to Atlanta Film Co. I really mulled over it when I made that announcement that, you know, I'm not going to be putting out any more episodes out, right? Because it, it was a love, right? You know, I think all three of us here can certainly agree that, like, we do this because we love it, you know, and it's not always, you know, wanting to, you know, yeah, we we love to you know, get some return on investment for all the work that we put into and everything. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like just, hey, you know, um, just do it because we love it, right? Um, right. And so, um, you know, with the pandemic and everything, that certainly threw a wrench into supply chain stuff. And, 
you know, film prices in the industry just went haywire. And, um, you know, a lot of my, you know, I kind of transitioned into like creating reels uh, during the pandemic. And, you know, I kind of, I, I liked doing reels because it was just kind of like, hey, this is just another way for me to, you know, creatively express myself. Uh, and then it just kind of started to catch on, right? You know, it just, um, you know, people remembered it and everything along those lines, the content, the bits that I was creating and all that stuff. And so, so it was just always kind of like a natural progression away from like podcasting in general for me. But like with the Land Film Code, uh, with all the pricings that went uh, crazy and everything, it was like, you know, a lot of my videos were like me throwing my fists in the air, complaining about, you know, prices and stuff like that. But, you know, there here's this crazy opportunity that, you know, um, Dunwoody Photo had and to process motion picture film in, in EC into film. And so we were just kind of like, rather than, you know, complaining about a problem that we won't have any control over, why don't we do some good, introduce, you know, motion processing or, you know, now motion picture film was never really, you know, it's been done for a long time. It just never was, a, you know, a very mainstream thing, you know, and so now it has become more common and you know people are buying it it's just every single day at least since we've started it's just been getting more progressively uh interesting and more and more people are talking about what we're doing you know we're blending pop culture of you know motion pictures uh, tv series and stuff like that you know blending that with stills photography and everything and and uh it's it's made ec and two processing more of a common thing rather than this kind of like you know uh, uh trying to find the right word taboo amongst the film photography community you know right. and uh and now it's kind of like you know labs are now starting to offer them because it's it's another option there's companies out there that are now making it and making it for kits that are you know, uh, enough for boutique labs and stuff like that. So it, it's just, it's kind of sticking. And so, and I'm, I'm kind of glad to, you know, be a positive factor in, in that kind of change. And, you know, when I see people complaining about, you know, all oh, these film prices and everything, well, here's this option, you know, you got this 250D, this 500T, and, you know, then we we're keeping them at prices that are, we think, very, very affordable for the types of films that they are. You know, these are movies that are like $100 million plus productions that have been shot on these films. So these are very good films when you right. think about, you know, the scheme of, you know, what they can offer. And so, um, and the, the price points that we're selling them at, I think they're very, very, very fair. So um, we're very fortunate of growth that we've had. And, you know, it's just more and more people are buying. And, you know, now people are kind of, you know, early on, as I was telling you guys earlier, people were like, oh, you're the Reels guy. That's funny, you know, and you did all that stuff. And then now it's becoming like, hey, I absolutely love what you're doing now. And, and like at the time, I was kind of questioning myself as far as like, what's my personal branding going to be? Like, am I going to be the guy that makes fun of, you know, these film companies and the community and stuff like that, which I love making people laugh, right? That's just the entertainer yeah. in me in general. But like, you know, at the end of the day, the this job that you know the Lunar Film Co is certainly 
out of love and wanting to you know provide a a cheaper option for people other than like me just being this capitalist pig right you know like i, I want to be you know i, I want to be good in this industry and this is my way of doing that right well all, all of the reviews and feedback i've seen and read has been positive and you know that's from people i don't know at all to people like you know that we that we all know like alex and suzanne and all of these folks uh shooting it and loving it and and the results do look great yeah it's um it's pretty wild i mean like just over the past weekend you know uh woke up saturday or sunday i can't remember it was over the weekend and like out of nowhere like hundred orders came out of nowhere. I was like, what the heck happened? Who said something about us? Like that's what I was and then it was um grainy days had mentioned oh, wow. Euphoric. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and they had mentioned uh Euphoric on it. And then like that's orders came from that. I was like, oh my God, wow. I'm I'm just like blown away by it. So um you know so it, it's certainly um you know these people are recommending us and like you know our small group of you know podcasters and stuff like that, that you know we're friends with i appreciate the, the amazing feedback that they give and everything but there's also people that i've never even talked to that are just you know going on about this film and you know i'm, I'm just happy that we're able to provide a service right and so uh, you know, we're not doing we're not doing any secret sauce with this film, right? You know, so all the credit goes to, to Kodak for for you know the the motion picture films that they have. But like, you know, we're we're just trying to make some you know a process that has never been you know has been always closed doors more attainable, right? And so right. now that we have labs, they're like, oh, what can we do to process it? And originally it was like OC forty one and all that stuff, but now it's like my goal of normalizing ECN2 is more of an industry thing and we're starting to see that happen more and more and and so I'm really excited to see that we saw uh, a lab just opened up that specifically said that they're going to be doing ECN2 uh, the photo department lab um, and so I'm just I'm excited to see that people are trying to add that into their wheelhouse now so uh, it's it's very exciting at that point very cool to kind of tie it back to you personally as a creative person and atlanta film co you know is becoming uh an entity into itself and its own brand but sort of as a creative person who wanted to put this thing out into the world what were some of the hoops you had to jump through i mean it you know it's it's obviously mostly you know the film is the most important thing but you got to come up with a, a website and branding and figuring out how to measure out the film consistently and getting it loaded into canisters and sort of how you know for whatever you're willing to share with us what were all the, yeah. the things that that it took to get it off the ground and up and running yeah i mean i think at the end of the day like i, I know there are there are certain companies out there that are very specific about their brand and how their brand looks and everything and you know you go to certain uh films uh, sites that um are on their instagrams you look at it you go, that has a very consistent look right and that's that's their image that's their brand and i 100 percent respect that i'm not at that point yet and i don't claim to be a brand specialist or designer we you know that that's you know, I think that's the exciting thing about this growth is that 
at least in my mindset, it's never a, I'm not going to bat a thousand, right? You know, and so when I go into it, I know that I'm going to, I have to iterate, I have to grow, you know, and there's a term for, you know, Billy, you probably will know this, will know this from, from our IT days, uh, an MVP approach, right? Uh, a minimum viable product, you know, which is get a product that's out there and it works and then worry about all the other, what they call gold plating, right? Make it look pretty and all that stuff that is just aesthetics, but at the end of the day, just provide a product that works. And so that has been my approach where we went in, started thinking really small, where we're like, we're just going to offer this film for the Atlanta community. And then it just grew. And then people were like, where can we buy this? We buy this website and everything. And we're like, well, we don't really have a website really yet. So let me get on Wix and, you know, create a website really quick, you know, and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll go from there. And so it has always been, how do we iterate? And so that's kind of been my process. You know, we get, you know, we're specifically 35. I listen to the customers, you know, saying, Hey, we want 120, you know, we want, you know, hundred foot spools and everything along those lines. And so I hear that and I hear it constantly and I hear it as a repeating thing that I'm just like, okay, this is a product that people want. How do I, you know, deliver that, you know? And so that has been my approach to how do I just deliver a simple product at the end of the day? And, and it just continues to grow from that, from that aspect. Um, right. You know, and, and Euphoric was definitely a, an odd one because I, I did not anticipate, I knew it was going to be exciting and popular, but I had no idea that it was going to be something that was going to put us on the scale like worldwide. Right. I mean, like within 24 hours, we had people from Japan and, and China wanting to do like orders of like thousands of rolls. I was like, <laughs> oh, my no. God, like I'm like, I'm not there. Like I'm barely keeping up with 100 rolls at a time. Right. And like when we released it, we, we had to stop. Like I was like, let's just out of stock this because I'm I'm overwhelmed. Like we're already 150 orders in within like the first, you know, 24 hours of this release right you know and like it just was completely overloaded you know and so we right. learned from that and how did we improve from you know the processes that we learned from that release and everything and so when we came to do this limited release with koji you know we we understood what it took better and so that release was much 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 smoother and so you know we still get you know euphoric is our number one seller and so we're just really appreciative of that growth. And so it's just continuously learning and, you know, understanding what the customer wants and, you know, just navigating how do we continue that growth, you know? So that's, that has always been our, our main focus is, you know, listen to the customer, deliver a product that works at the end of the day and worry about how pretty it looks later on. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I'm, and I'm sure they're all your babies, but do you, do you have a personal favorite to shoot? <laughs> oh man. Um, I've been, I'll tell you what I've been shooting a lot lately. Uh, cause I, I do enjoy all, but, um, I've been, my general go-to is 500T. I'll shoot it at a 800 and then I will push process it as a thousand. 
in uh, with Kodak Motion Picture Film Lab Atlanta, we are able to do push processing. So, you know, they it's just kind of like a little turn of a dial, and then it just goes through the chemistry a little bit longer. It adds this level of saturation, and it's just it's very pleasing uh, look to it, and um, that has been my go-to for just about everything. It's like you know, with a, with a faster lens, you know, it's low light conditions are fantastic in it. Motion picture guys love shooting it uh, right around that area. They, they aren't shy of shooting it at a thousand any time of day of the week. Right. Okay. Well, you've definitely kept things going. It feels like you're releasing a new film about as often as Mike's releasing a new album. <laughs> well, that's well, a nice I, segue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Mike. So, when you and I talked, you know, we touched on on your albums on your Bandcamp page, and I'll, you know, the way that you kept music going for you after the band broke up is when you got into photography and started the podcast, but then, you know, on your own, you're still making music. How did the idea come to you to start up the Bandcamp page? Was it just a way to, to just put your music out there? Did you have the intent that, Hey, maybe people could use this for their YouTube channels or podcasts or kind of what was your thought process? At first it was, it was completely almost like, it was just for negative pauses podcast. Cause at that time, Andre and I were just doing like solo shows a lot and they sounded kind of dry. It's just one person talking. So I thought, you know, I've got some old demo recordings and stuff. Maybe I should put music behind these episodes. Just so it's got a little bit of music in the background. So it doesn't sound so just dry one person talking, you know? And so I'd ran out of the, the, the few demo recordings I had on a hard drive or whatever. So I was like, well, you know, I should just record like some simple, you know, some simple, some simple, simple guitar licks, you know, and uh, <laughs> right. cause that's about all I play anyway, is simple <laughs> stuff. So uh, it seems like it would be easy to do. So started making my own music for my own podcast. And mm -hmm. as I started doing it more and more, I found the, the unique thing I enjoyed about it was, you know, when you're in a band, you, you have to work with other people and there's egos involved and all that stuff where, you know, when you're recording by yourself, you don't have that limitation. You don't have to deal with egos. It's everything is your decision. You do what you want. And that's great. But it's also really hard to kind of write traditional songs in a way, like right. uh, because you don't really have a drummer that can do a feel to take you to the chorus and all this stuff. Or, I mean, you could do these things with software and all this. But I just found that trying to write music completely by myself, a, a, a neat spin on it was to be, let me try to write like really simple what I call background music or what could be conceived as soundtrack music or production music or whatever, because that way I'm not, I don't have any of the trappings of what a traditional song structure is, you know, like, I mean, yeah, some of my songs do have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, or some songs even have a bridge, you know, <laughs> right. most of them don't, but because <laughs> I can't play guitar solos because I don't have EMG hum humbuggies in my, my guitar. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, um, but so it just gave me this like this new thing to like try to uh, like uh, it's kind of like what I found is the most interesting thing I found out of doing this was because I do everything myself and I'm by myself doing, you know, I don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of. I, I've found that I've had to put limitations on myself like this album. I'm only going to use two instruments or this album's only every song is going to be less than three minutes or this album. Uh, I'm going to have start with a bass line. 
every song starts with a bass line or is built off of a bass line or something. Like, so each time I have to like, I've been trying to make a little box and stay inside of a box. It keeps me more focused because you, you really lose focus if you, you know, if the whole world's open to you and you got unlimited possibilities, you can't, it's like, it's like, it's like when you, uh, when you're going out to shoot and you have a hundred cameras, you get that paralysis of what camera am I going to shoot with? Well, you know, I had like paralysis of what type of song I was going to write. So I was, <laughs> you know, try to try to limit that a little bit, but, but I just realized that maybe other people might want to use this music and to my delight and actually surprise, and I'm very humbled by it. And it just blows me away. Every time I see like a different YouTube channel using my music or a different podcast using it, it's been really, really rewarding. And, uh, you know, all I do is, uh, you know, they can donate if they want or they can get the music completely for free. I just ask that if they use it, they give me a credit on, you know, somewhere, somewhere, you know, just give me credit right. for the music or whatever. And it's just been really, really rewarding. So, it's yeah, it's just been like when you watch somebody like it's a different kind of pride you get when you see something that somebody else has put a lot of their time and effort into and a lot of their energy, like their creative, they, they you know, their creativity, they've created something. And then they choose your music to augment that. It's a very like, you know, it's a very rewarding, I guess I keep saying rewarding, but it's a, it's a very satisfying kind of thing. Like, wow, this person has put their time into creating something and then thought that my music would help, help elevate that in some way. It's, it's really, it's very cool. Like it's kind of, it's, it, it's grown from something that was just a kind of a, almost not really a goof but just ah oh, let's just uh, let's just throw this crap up on Bandcamp, see what happens it went from that to being something like really way more rewarding than i thought it would be and man i gotta start i gotta find another word besides rewarding i'm really hitting that one a lot <laughs> uh, <laughs> gratifying maybe gratifying or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you, you yeah. kind of touched on it because i was going to ask you if your recording process was always the same like did did you always start with a drum beat to kind of keep your rhythm or or is it yeah. whatever parameters you've set for yourself? Like I'm going to start with the riff and then build around that, or the baseline, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, what it what is kind of your process? Uh, it's it's usually different for each uh, each project or whatever each album that I'm working on. But for the most part, it's generally going to start with guitar because that's my main instrument, I guess, or or bass. I'm I'm averagely okay on bass, but uh, <laughs> so <laughs> but I'll come up with a, a an idea. Basically, usually just the the first part, the first couple measures of a song. And then I get a click track going and I record a mm -hmm. click track uh, and then I play to the click. And then later I figure out through, I have like drum software pro, uh, that I use to, to come to do the drums. Cause I, I do all this at three or four in the morning generally, and I do have neighbors. So right. even if I, even if I could play drums, I don't mm -hmm. think they'd like it too much. So I use uh, software to do the drum beats and stuff and uh, uh, which was a learning process, but but yeah, it's uh, and I found a way to like pretty much, you know, I'm a, I'm a night owl, I'm a night shifter guy. And I found a way to record completely quietly. Then we have the technology now. Like I have this, uh, I have this pedal. It's an amp emulation and cabinet emulation uh, pedal in a, a little tiny box. It's a, made by Strymon. It's called a Strymon Iridium. For anybody that might may have want to be interested in such a thing, a Strymon Iridium. It's kind of expensive, but it's the single best music purchase I've made in probably the last uh, decade. I mean, because I can now like record completely quietly in this garage at three in the morning, not wake up anybody. And it literally sounds actually better than if I mic'd up one of my amps, because then I, I would have, you know, noises in this garage, the, the metal door <laughs> rattling and stuff like coming through right. the mic. Like it's actually, it's amazing how good it sounds. Uh, and it takes like your, your normal guitar pedals in front of it, just like a real amp would. And it just, it, it's amazing. And uh, it really, that, that kind of opened up the whole world to me. Once I got this thing, I was like, I can do this. Like I can actually, 
record my own music quietly on my my schedule not uh get the cops called on me so yeah <laughs> yeah definitely and i and i was teasing earlier but having said that you have been pretty prolific with the output kind of how much time would you estimate you invest into into one of the albums that you put together yeah it seems like i'm not putting much time into these but i mean i literally I record every day. Like uh, I actually have a goal this year and I don't know whether I'll make, I'll meet it or not, but I have a goal to like at least start or possibly finish a song every single day this year. And so I'm out here uh, and particularly at my job, I've been getting off earlier than usual because we've had part shortages and all this stuff at, at Ford Motor Company. So I'll be getting off earlier. So I've had a little more time than usual. Uh, so I'm, I'm generally, you know, anywhere four to five hours a day recording. Uh, I would say, you know, I, I typically average a song a night, so maybe not completed, but to, to a varying degree of completion. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and then, right. uh, so it could take, you know, for a 10 album song, it can take me two weeks, you know, at four or five hours a night. And, um, you know, uh, and so generally I try to put out something every two weeks and as soon as it's as soon as it's done it goes straight straight to the band camp hot off the press you know, so <laughs> I, I, I don't even i don't second guess it like you know I, i'm sure i could go back and listen to some things and be like eh, maybe i shouldn't have released that one you know but i i, I just don't i don't you know because you never know some people may like it even you, you know i i had a buddy of mine i was like well how do you determine uh you know which which songs you're going to put out i'm like uh, i put them all out <laughs> I, just, I, I, don't, I don't really think about it man you know i just right. I don't and I think it, I was talking to Andre, uh, my co-host on, you know, negative positives about mm -hmm. this. I said the beauty of I, maybe this is a cop out, but the beauty of calling it uh, background music for productions or electronic mm -hmm. music for productions or acoustic music for productions. That's kind of the names of all the albums. Right. The right. beauty of calling it that is it keeps everyone's everyone's. Uh, 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 what's the it keeps the standards low it keeps yeah. everybody's expectations, expectations. yeah <laughs> <laughs> like they they don't expect this to be anything other than uh, it's just a little background music yeah no big deal you know so <laughs> if it ends up being good then maybe it surprises them you know but uh, so, right <laughs> so that's well, my way of uh, tempering expectations i guess yeah but well, plus, it, plus it allows me to not write traditional like you know some of the songs are definitely traditional you know uh structures but i can actually have a song that literally has no it's just one part you know and i can call that uh, a song for this purpose where you couldn't necessarily always pull that off in a band situation you know it's it's kind of freeing uh so it's been fun yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see the uh mike gutterman does the tacha <laughs> I don't know if that's a realm I'm going to uh... <laughs> the vibe volume one yeah, do it. yeah I don't know that uh, you'll see that uh, that would require more talent than I have so that's uh... <laughs> well sort of though on a similar question that I asked Bill but to you also and you touched on it with the acoustic or the electronic or the background or electric or whatever what what you know it's it's all your output i'm sure you enjoy all of it but is there one of those sort of frameworks or genres in particular you personally enjoy a little bit more oh yeah yeah i definitely put way more time and more effort into what i would call the background music for productions which is generally more electric guitar and, and bass and drums more traditional rock type music i guess and uh that's that's what i put most of the time in the electro electronic music is really 
uh, for shits and giggles. It's fun. <laughs> and it's not necessarily my genre and I don't claim to be that great at it, but a lot of people use it. So actually I've done better with the electronic music than anything else, which kind of is par for the course of these things. You know, it's like when you take a, a photograph that you like and it gets almost no likes and then one you don't think much of gets all the likes on Instagram, that's the same way with music. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, definitely the, uh, the more electric guitar based stuff is what I'm, that's what I spend the most time on. Okay. Well, the other cool thing that you kind of came up on uh, towards the end of last year that I wanted to ask you about that kind of took it one step further was was offering your albums on cassettes. So how did, yeah. t tell everybody how that came about, kind of how that idea grew. Yeah, it came out because a, a, a small label had reached out to me and wanted to do a cassette run of one of my, some of my music. So, and I got, it, and it got me thinking, not so much, I mean, that was cool and all, but it got me thinking about cassettes, you know, like, that's odd. Like I, I used to love, I mean, I grew up with cassettes. I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy, you know? So, I mean, I've spent way too many hours of my life making mixtapes and all that stuff, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I kind of like got a little bit of romanticism, a little bit about cassettes again. And, and uh, then he sent me the cassettes that he made for me and, or at least a batch of them. And I was like, this is really pretty cool. And, and I started reading about like this cassette revival and there's cassette culture and stuff going on. And uh, it's kind of and I, the, the parallels between that and film photography just really struck me because cassette culture or the cassette revival or whatever is literally dealing with the same things that film photography is. Uh, there's a limited amount of brand new cassettes that are manufactured these days. Uh, prices are going up on what is available. The equipment to play these cassettes is nothing. Only a few very new things are made and they're not the quality of the old cassette decks. And, uh, and so there's a, you know, there's a push to like, is anybody going to build a new proper good cassette deck? Just like we have going on with film cameras. You know, there's the thing of like, if you think about the magnetic tape, it, if you look at a cassette, it kind of looks like film, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, still like, it's, it's just, it's a whole thing really just started resonating with me. And I was like, well, let me, you know, so I got out my old cassette deck from the nineties and uh, started making tapes and learned how to print labels and make the J cards that go inside there. So, and then I was able to tie in my photography love and by using some of my photography as the album covers and like was able to make these little cassette, you know, the covers for the cassette uh, case and everything. And, uh, and it's just been a real blast, like, you know, to like feel like you're creating something. I'm sure maybe uh, Bill sort of feels like this when he's uh, sp spending all weekend uh, uh, hand rolling film. <laughs> I, feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm manufacturing something, you know, and there's it, it, and it's, it's a cool thing. Like, I think all of us that are into film photography or or, or playing music, the, the, the thought of doing something with your hands is a very rewarding thing, you know, and just like recording these tapes and and uh, and printing the labels and 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 putting it all together and and, and as a package. And, and like, you know, I, I got to ship a bunch of tapes to Norway uh, one uh, at one point. It was just really rewarding. And uh, but to feel like you're actually making something with your hands and and seeing like a finished product of your art, like, you know, yeah, like my music was just living on man camp. And that's great. That's like your photos living on Instagram. But to actually have like physical cassettes of your music is pretty cool you know it's kind of a neat thing and uh, uh somehow it seems cooler than uh, a cdr that you burned on your computer or you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't it just seems it's it's analog man you know so hey <laughs> that's right and yeah. you've you've talked some uh, the 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 aspect of it where you have a physical thing you can hold was mm. the thing that we talked about but we also you know just one of the things that we have talked about as, as it relates to 
musicians, you know, back in the day when you were playing in a club or something, you had a physical thing you could sell, right, to make some mm-hmm. money, like a CD mm-hmm. or a cassette or an album or something. And that's sort of a thing that doesn't, I mean, maybe it's coming back now, but for a while, you know, with digital and streaming and everything, that was sort of a a thing that musicians weren't able to do, (laughs) or it seemed like it cut into the revenue streams. Sure, sure. Yeah. Like, well, I know that uh, one of the things I was reading about on this cassette thing is vinyls you know a lot of bands particularly smaller bands were having trouble getting vinyls made because the the popularity of vinyl has exploded so much that even now the major labels want to put the neighbor the new taylor swift album out on vinyl and trust me the major label wants a million taylor swift vinyls made the vinyl pressing plant's going to put precedence on that over uh you know uh joe hee-haw and, and the and the hee-hawians over here that want to put out their record uh, <laughs> I, don't know where that, I don't know where that name came from but that was just right right out you know just right out of my mind but uh, uh, uh right. they, they want to press 200 copies of their record to sell around uh, Tallahassee or something, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they're not. So like a lot of these smaller bands were having to wait like year, year and a half to get their vinyls made because they would keep getting pushed back in the queue. Cause these major labels, there's only so many vinyl pressing plants. So um, a lot of bands, smaller bands had went to cassettes as an option because it's, it's a physical medium. And even to the point where I was reading stories where like people, uh, kids, like I hate to say kids, like younger people at these shows, uh, were buying a cassette, even though they didn't have a cassette deck, just to have a memento of the show, like a physical thing of the show. And of course, inside the cassette would be like a download card, so you could go to their band camp and get the album for free. But they wanted to go home with something physical. And uh, even though they, some of these people didn't even have a cassette deck to play it on, so which is just <laughs> right. an odd thing, you know. But the, I think it just goes back to people just desiring uh, to hold things tangible in their hands again, you know, something that's not just digital ether that just exists out in like some, you know, uh, cloud somewhere, you know? Right. Well, so, you know, we touched on it at the beginning and uh, Bill, you, you mentioned a few of your stops on your creative journey, so to speak, from podcasting to reels to starting a film company. (laughs) But just wanted to get both of your thoughts. I mean, because we do, you know, between the three of us, we we do know an awful lot of creative people. And it seems to be, you know, sometimes I get in this mindset where I feel like, okay, I'm I'm practicing so that I can get better at this one thing. And once I get there, I'm done, right? I'm going to stop growing, stop progressing or evolving at any point. But life doesn't work that way, you know? we we continue to evolve it is a journey you know however cliche a term that may seem and and that's what we've seen you know certainly within film photography and i'm sure it happens in every hobby with music or you know if you're into wood turning or restoring classic cars or whatever it just you know continues to grow and evolve in film photography you know people look for other things to do with it they might create zines they might start up a youtube channel like we talked about or um you know people are 3d printing lens caps now or just all sorts of little things i I mean just you know from y'all's uh perspective over the over the years that you've been 
observing the community and the way that things evolve and and just from your own personal experience um creative people don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again they want to grow and stretch their wings so to speak so what are what are what are your perspectives on that bill um you know it's, it's kind of interesting that you know there there's always this conversation of like nostalgia oh this is just a fad and all that stuff i just i'm in the process of listening to a book um just because i ha- barely have a chance to be in the car now these days working from home for most of the time now but when i do um i'm listening to a book by uh a physicist called uh his name is dr michio kaku and he describes something called the caveman principle and basically as technology starts to advance more and more and more and gets super high tech and like now heading in, you know, that wholly different topic, but like AI, right? AI art and all that stuff. And like artists are like vehemently like opposing it, right? And so as a result of it, they're like, oh, I'm going to be more focused on quote unquote the analog. So Dr. Kaku talks about calling the caveman principle where essentially we as humans prefer high touch over high tech. And he also even says that um, no medium will ever be replaced by the next medium. They will always exist with each other, but the way that they uh, work together will change. And so that book was written, and I, gosh, I, I should uh, pull the book up. I can pull it up here in a second. But um, it talks about you know where technology will be in the next hundred years, right? When I heard that, it completely changed my perspective on things of like, holy cow, this provides some insight as far as us as humans being able to see what our behaviors are like, right? And so as we start to move into more and more technical things that uh, we give up control over, we start to trust it less. And so, um, so I think in my mind, at least, that why we are so driven to the analog quote-unquote experience is because we are more in tune with our craft and every step of the way we have more and more control right so we can put it into the chemistry we can leave it in the chemistry longer we can take it out shorter you know we can you know scan it this way we can put in filters to add contrast and you know we just have so many options and, and control and how we can creatively express ourselves not to say that AI is like I'm in this area where AI is very interesting. I, I find it interesting because uh, people can take their ideas and literally type it out and say, I had a dream about this, blah, 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 blah. And then they type it out and then AI will try to create a rendering of it. I understand that artists now are saying this is stealing our work mm-hmm. and how those AI models learn should be ethical, 100% agree with that. But I think also we're now entering a phase where we as humans have to learn to adapt to these changes. And I think that this is that next stage where AI will be creating art, but there's also going to be a space where now there's more value being put into the creative process that requires more work. And so 
how all those intermingle with each other and what's going to change. So I, I'm not opposed to digital or anything along those lines. I think you know digital certainly has its place. Analog has its place. AI will have its place. And then what we'll see is this mishmash of how all that is going to work with each other you know, in the future. So, so that's been kind of my, my approach to it, that my better understanding of everything now is just, you know, having more control of the creative process at the end of the day. And that's why I'm so drawn to, to the analog photography um, in general, you know, it's just, you know, I, I can have more control over it, you know, at the end of the day. And, um, but, I still shoot digital and, you know, I'll bust out the iPhone for a picture and everything because, you know, that it's what I got on me or whatever, you know, it, does, it doesn't matter for me at the end of the day. And and I think we'll start to see things where, you know, AI is built into these cameras and where like, oh, hey, that looks like a bride. I'm going to focus on that bride for you. So all you have to worry about is the composition. You don't have to worry about autofocus. You don't have to worry about aperture. You know, literally, like after, like, uh, what's that company? Um, Lytro. Do you guys remember Lytro? Where you didn't have to worry about uh, uh, depth of field. You can actually change that in the software after oh, the fact. Yeah, you yeah. take the yeah, picture okay. and you can yeah. change the depth of field in post. Like, that company was ahead of their time. And it's amazing technology. We're now starting to see a little bit. I think Apple ended up buying it. Um, and now you're starting to see where you can actually change the depth of field in your in your uh, iPhone. Um, but technology, like people like to grasp onto it, like the concept of it is amazing. You know, that's just another way of how people are like, oh, you know, I'm not going to have control over aperture after the fact. You know, so so yeah, that's been that's my my long tirade on on the little bit as far as how I you know have learned you know this. this uh, understanding that how everything kind of coincides and fits together now yeah well mike you know we've we've talked before about how you know the your your favorite bands from days gone by you know they go on tour and the crowd just wants to hear the favorites but they want to play the new stuff right (laughs) right right i mean that's a sort of a similar theme to how we kind of evolve in our creativity but what just what kind of what's your take on all of this well i think uh i think a lot of i think everyone has had that experience of going to see one of your favorite bands that you know is still at it years later and you <laughs> you go and you're like uh yeah they're playing some of the new stuff let's uh let's go let's go grab a beer or whatever <laughs> you know like, and, and I, I totally understand that 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 sentiment i guess because again the i guess it's a little bit of romanticism with the with nostalgia you know but Right. But one thing I've noticed is, uh, and I guess I just now I've gotten to this point in my life where I feel like I've been doing creative pursuits long enough, like music and uh, photography and, and, and even even the podcast is, the, which, by the way, I hate that I have to follow Bill because Bill had all this philosophical stuff. I've got nothing. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. like. But I have noticed the more I've, I've been a longer I've been a creative person, I've realized that I can't I don't and I don't think anybody can. This isn't this, this isn't just me. I think anybody that, that creates any sort of thing uh, naturally evolves and starts changing uh, their their the, the type of thing that they do and whatever their medium is. And it's just a natural thing. You cannot continue to c- c- create the same art over and over and over again. Yeah. 
at that point you're not being creative you know right. and uh so the idea of a band writing the same album over and over again to please their fans well it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't work they would break up they would stop doing it because they they would no longer feel creative like creative people and creative people have to create that's what that's why we do it you know like we're driven right. to do these things and uh if you don't feel like you're actually creating then the you know then you what are you doing you know like uh so i and and that's why like um you know, we had a big, uh, um, a big milestone with the Negative Positives podcast with 400 episodes, and I thought, you know, this would be a good time to end it. And I was this close to ending it because I was like, well, what, what can I, you know, at this point, everybody knows all my jokes. Like, I, you know, I've said them a million times. Like, you know, my shtick, my shtick is getting old. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, that, 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 no pun intended there, but, uh, <laughs> but. but you know, uh, but I decided that, okay, what if I, you know, normally I haven't really tried to force a change there, but this time I actually talked with the the co-captains like, let's force a change. Let's, because if not, I'm going to end it because I don't feel like I'm being creative in this anymore. You know, I'm, I don't feel like I'm adding anything, any value to this podcast anymore or to the listeners. So in that case, we, we forced a change and uh, we're still, you know, feeling our way around that about what we're going to do and, and trying things out. But I'm now reinvigorated on doing the podcast again, where I was this close to ending it because, you know, I felt like uh, I was not being creative with it, which, you know, it, I just I, it's one thing I've just realized as, as I've gotten older and, and done creative pursuits longer is that if you're not constantly feeling like you're pushing yourself to another something you haven't tried before, then you will lose interest in it. Like and um, and because you're not really feeling like you're. Um, I guess growing as an artist, you know, but uh, <laughs> sounds so pretentious, but uh, right. Well, I mean, there, there's truth behind that. Right. Because I mean, the, the term expression, right. You know, I just, I think that we go through so many different life experiences and those life experiences are our external um, drivers. Right. And so mm -hmm. we as artists will take those external drivers and then we use that as our creative output, right? So if if somebody is experiencing or dealing with a lot of death in their life, you know, that is going to emotionally impact them. And so now they're going to have to, you know, creatively, ex, you know, express how they're feeling, right? You know, uh, we, we see it with artists that, you know, go to this really dark place for a while, right? You know, like, geez, you know, like, what happened to this artist from, you know, or even like musicians, like the music is just so drastically different and it's like so much darker. And then you kind of realize after that album has come out, it's just like, you know, uh, these were the things that they were dealing with, you know, and, and this is how they were able to creatively express that. And, and then they change, you know, uh, there are bands that you know that had albums that were drastically different because they're like changing their lives from alcohol addiction right mm -hmm. you know and the music just completely changed from that because aspects of their life have changed i i find it very interesting like at least for me like dream theater is one of my favorite bands and like yes i often hark back to their 1999 album uh, you know, scenes from Memory Part Two, where it was like this amazing concept album, right? And like 
that is like the one album I will play over and over and over and over again until like that vinyl will not be able to play that song, that, that entire album ever again. Like, that's just how <laughs> I play it. And like, I often catch myself saying, man, I wish they can do like a part three to this, right? Like they got to do something like that. And they've come out numerous times. Like, and a lot of people agree with me. Like you got to do another one, you know? And um, they're like, no, like we're, we're done with that and like but what i appreciate about their albums is that every single one is progressively different right it's mm-hmm. the word progressive metal but like they're just constantly evolving as a band through every single album and when i listen to their stuff from like the early 90s and dude i mean these guys are like machines i don't know how the hell they do it like literally they do a studio album they go on tour and then they release a uh, live album and then they go back to the studio. They have been doing that constantly for 25 years and more than that, 30 years. And these guys are like machines. So like, but every single album that comes out is vastly different from the album before. And I appreciate that. And I agree with you on like, when I went to the concert that they had here in Atlanta uh, a couple years ago, I was like, man, these songs, like I know them, but I don't know them. Like, you know, from my heart right you know like right. there, there's you know there's that song you're like oh man I'm, I'm ready to start i don't care how bad i sing i'm, I'm going to be singing this at the top of my lungs right and <laughs> um and then the next one's like oh okay yeah cool all right yeah i like the song too i'm gonna go get it you know, but um <laughs> but yeah it's it's very interesting to to see that i think it's just life experiences affect artists and how they express themselves based on those external factors right any of any of your favorites mike evolved to the point where you just weren't digging it anymore (laughs) oh wow um (laughs) i'm a huge pixies fan and uh i haven't been necessarily into the last several years of pixies uh uh output um i mean i'd say i haven't liked them but i think they came out with an album like a year ago and I, i and honestly, I haven't even listened to it. And that 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 shocks me because I used to, I mean, they're probably still in my top 10 bands of all time or whatever. But like, gosh, not really. I can't. And honestly, I feel bad. Just uh, I kind of feel bad shitting on the Pixies right now because like, <laughs> they're like one of my top 10 favorite bands. But like... <laughs> well, you know, it's and it's not just I, I don't think it's, you know, it's not a one sided equation. Right. Because. Right the band is evolving but you're evolving too right and so yeah, maybe yeah, sometimes yeah. it'll be in the same direction and well i just actually i, I it's funny i just i was telling y'all before we started recording i watched the, like an hour and a half long video last night of billy corgan from smashing pumpkins and he was talking now i used to love the smashing pumpkins in the 90s everybody did like they they, they had a unique sound and and they were very influential but corgan has you know he's been recent decade or so for maybe decades been kind of an asshole so so but, but uh i so I, but i'm interested in him because one thing about him is he's very like uh he knows what he wants and and, and uh, the type of art he wants to create the type of music he wants to create and he just keeps doing it and he he doesn't care that you don't like his new stuff he doesn't care that he's he's not pleasing the fans from the 90s or whatever and to the point where he's like i think he right now he's, he's coming out with like a a four-part 30 something song concept album or something. Everybody <laughs> tells him he's like crazy and it's the stupidest thing they ever heard of. He don't care. It's what he's going to do. Like it's what he wants to do. And I can appreciate that, you know? And, yeah. 
but I can also say I haven't liked anything he's done in several decades. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll tell you one. Here's an obvious one. F and U2, man. Like, I used to love U2. <laughs> and, uh, like, U2, after Octum Baby, 1992, they have done in, nothing good since. Like, that, and that's, yeah. and it, you know what makes me mad about that? I'm going to go on a rant here if I can go on a rant. Like, sure. you are, you are billionaires. You don't have to write a hit song anymore. You can get weird. Get weird. Come on, you two. Get weird. Do something weird. You know, like, who? You, like, do you need any more money? You don't need any more money. Quit trying to write these candy pop songs. You know, like, I don't know. Like, just, that's, that's got to get that off my chest. Man. <laughs> no. I, and, I'll, and I'll piggyback on that and, and say, you know, what was so weird to me when they were pretty much, you know, I, I guess pretty much at the height of their powers, and they released that album that that got distributed to everybody's iPhone. iPhone. Yeah, iPhones. Yeah, yeah. And there was such a backlash over that. Like, right. how dare you give me a free album from the hottest band in the world? I hate you now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that was a uh, that was almost as bad as like New Coke in the eighties. Like that was a real marketing blunder there. You know, like <laughs> right. Nice. Right. I like that allegory. <laughs> <laughs> on another film photography topic so one of the things that you know we've all know people over in the uk and i've always been kind of envious because it seems like there's a small community right just because they're not quite as geographically spread out as we are right and uh you know one of the events in particular that they have is the annual photography show and then you know, a few years ago, they were going to even take it to the next level for us analog guys by having the analog spotlight. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bill, you were you were going to be at that event and and <laughs> and then, you know, life and uh, pandemics and, and all that sort of thing had different <laughs> plans. Kind of kind of tell us that story. Yeah, so that was a wild one. I know. So I had gone to WPPI. First in Vegas, I uh, was hosting a photo op with KDH camera, and that was fantastic and everything. And so there was kind of like at that time, the PPI, WPPI was like, I think it was end of February at the time. I can't remember. There was like, I was doing WPPI or Imaging USA, WPPI, and then I was ready to go to do the photography show in Birmingham, England. Right. And, um, I was going to give a talk at that one. And so literally the night before I was supposed to fly, they, we, we all, the entire world went into lockdown at that point. And so I just couldn't imagine like if I had flown like a day earlier or whatnot, like I would have been locked down in a foreign country that, you know, I think I would have been in good hands because I think I, I think I know enough people uh, in the U UK that you know I would have totally like they would have allowed me to crash, but you know just you know, I couldn't imagine uh, a, a world where like I could an alternate universe where I was stuck in the UK. You know, um, you, would have, you would have come back to America saying mate all the time and gavna, <laughs> 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 Hey, Gavna. Hey. I have the worst English accent. <laughs> well, the yeah. other 
go ahead. I was just going to say it's um, I've been itching to go back. Uh, it's been fascinating to see analog photography in the UK. I definitely think it's kind of like its own definitely def den demographic in that regards because um, they did their uh, photography show. They did have the uh, analog spotlight, you know, I think 2001. They tried to do the virtual one. You know, I did end up doing like a virtual video for them and, you know, and it was around, you know, podcasting experiences around film photography and everything. So, um, and it did well. It was, it was a good uh, little piece. And um, so I've been itching to go back to, uh, to go to the UK and, and hopefully see if I can squeeze in to see if we can do some talks. I know I got reasons to go out to Europe for, Atlanta Philco business and everything, you know, we want to try to expand and grow and everything along those lines. So uh, Europe is very much in my, uh, my radar. So hopefully uh, the next couple of years, um, find my way out there. All right. Well, the other, you know, one reason for bringing all this up is because it's, even though it's not exactly uh, the same as the photography show, we do have, the imaging USA that you mentioned um, yep. earlier, and and in what is that January twenty twenty four? Yep, it's going to be where in the in in the River City, Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I'm I'm putting it out there into the universe that that we need all film photographers who, who can make that happen to show up and that's all descend on the river city. That's right. I will be I, there. I, I, I will have no excuse to not be there cause it's my town. <laughs> and uh, I will say this, it's, it's going to be code. Uh, so <laughs> right. <laughs> January in Louisville. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, a nipply photo walk that we, uh, uh, cause I think we have to do a photo walk, right? We have to like, and have to. Uh, yeah and so uh bill and i are we're gonna have to have some 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 uh some some adult conversation what what we need to what we need to pull off for this thing so i think we need to i think we need to make a vent out of it you know like uh uh so yeah there you go i think it's gonna be fun i think, I think so. we need to do a concert out of mike gutterman's garage <laughs> <laughs> yeah you see the gutter man cave just at the yeah just open that thing up and then you know everybody right. piles out like that would be like a really awesome like garage jam session that's that right you can, uh, like, you, you can like a blink 182 uh music video man that's we'll, right, we'll... That's right. Uh, <laughs> if, 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 while you're listening you could jump on the elliptical machine right here and you know get a little exercise man you know whatever you want you know so... <laughs> that's right uh, well i i think I think we'll have a really amazing uh, film photography uh, turnout. I, I, interestingly, just kind of looking at the map, I think Kentucky is in a very accessible place. Just kind of like you just have that really good entry from the Midwest that's not that crazy of a drive. You know, it's it's like six hours from Atlanta and everything. I mean, like, I think it's in a good place, and I think there's going to be 
significant turnout. So you can't get much more landlocked, centrally located than Louisville, <laughs> Kentucky. Like you, uh, <laughs> we, we couldn't we couldn't be farther from large bodies of water other than the river that's right next to us. But uh, but uh, uh, and there's a reason UPS's main central hub of the United States is here in Louisville because. Uh, it's easier to ship from the middle of the country, I guess. So, uh, uh, but yeah, so we're pretty uh, well located. We have plenty of bourbon and uh, that will not be running out anytime soon. So um, you know, you'll have plenty of adult beverages you can enjoy while you're here. So, uh, uh, and you know, down, the downtown has really got a lot of cool things going on now. So uh, I think we can have a, a real good time of it. So, sure. For sure. And it will be cold, but you know, with uh, plenty of good fellowship, I'm sure we can, we can make it work. And, you know, that's like 10 months from now as we record this. So just every, everybody mark it down in your calendars and, and make the plans. So it works out that you can make it, I would say. That's right. That's right. We need to, we need to find like a, a hotel that everybody can just all go to uh, book one hotel and just take it over with a bunch of film nerds. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to feel sorry for that hotel. Right. <laughs> going to be coming in with handles of JD and everything. And it's going to, why did we say yes to this? <laughs> People taking pictures of all their plastic plants and everything. And uh, yeah, just. Uh... <laughs> That's right. Well, this this has been great, guys. I really do appreciate y'all jumping on and and kind of sharing your thoughts and observations on the creative journey and how it unfolds over time and and kind of how you know uh, something that might start as a film photography podcast can uh, grow into other avenues to to keep that creativity going. Yeah, it's been a real blast, really. really. Yeah, yep, likewise. Sorry. Oh no, you're good, man. You can cut me off anytime. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I've already I think I've already done that quite enough on this episode. Ah, uh, you're good, man. <laughs> you're good. Um, no, I was going to say you know, it's kind of funny. Mike and I had talked about doing an episode similar to this a long time ago, where we were like, "Oh man, we got to talk about you know music influences on film photography and everything," and never got around to doing it. So a big thank you to you for like organizing this because this was like right down the aisle of like what we had talked about doing a long time ago. And, and I, I love that you've created a podcast around both because um, certainly an episode cannot be enough to, to dance around with so many different topics and allegories between the two. So I tip my hat to you, sir, for uh, putting this uh, episode and, and your podcast series together. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I, uh, I'm honored. <laughs> Yeah, so, I agree. I have to, I have to, I have to echo that. Sentence. I got to share my praise as well. So, uh, you know, I, 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 there's part of me is like, damn, why didn't I think of that music? Of the <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but man, that's uh, it. I, I listened to every episode, Billy. You're doing a great job with it, and uh, uh, and yeah, just and and I will say this: not only your podcast, but even just in the outer realms of the community, man, you're always so supportive of everybody, and I think that that's a it speaks really highly of your character and just. Um, uh, you just, you're a real asset to the film community. You really are, man. And uh, I've said it on my show many a times and uh, we, we love you and uh, just keep it up, man. You're doing a good job. So. Absolutely. Well, it's an honor and I, and I do love the community and appreciate it all it's given to me. So happy to give, give a little bit back. Absolutely. 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 So Bill, how, how can people follow along 
with what all you've got going on and get in touch. Yeah. Um, so for Atlanta Film Co. stuff, you can find us on uh, Atlanta Film Co. Uh, or the Instagram is at atlantafilm.co. If you are interested in purchasing the films, uh, we're now kind of expanding into not just offering film options and processing, but we're looking to, you know, offer, you know, bulk loading supplies. We do have chemistry on the website as well and everything easy to, but we're looking to expand that as well. Um, so we're, we're certainly expanding in that sense. So you can find us there at atlantafilmco.com. And then for my personal uh, film photography shenanigans, it's uh, still studio.c41. All right. And Mike? Uh, you can uh, hear uh, the Negative Positives podcast, which is going through some uh, some new growing pains. Not really pains, but we're we're trying some new things, and uh, so we're gonna keep uh, tuned to that. If you if you if you like what we've been doing, see, and you can maybe you won't like what we're doing, and you can stop listening. But uh, but, <laughs> but uh, we're trying some new things there, so uh, we're really excited about it. So uh, the Negative Positives podcast and. Um, you can uh, hear or get my music for any of your production work, or hey, if you just want something to listen to, uh, at uh, mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. And uh, yeah, I, I could tell you to go to my Instagram, Gutterman Photo, for my photography, but you know, let's face it, it's 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 collecting a lot of cobwebs lately. But <laughs> so, <laughs> right, all right. Well, thank you both again, guys, and really do appreciate it. And let's uh, look forward to seeing each other in Louisville. Absolutely. And hey, everybody, stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. Where's your Where's your at? Where are you at, Bill? Yeah. Oh shoot, I don't know, man. Uh, I heard Rimjet uh, uh, shoot filming <laughs> it. I haven't said that in like a, year, a year, you know. So uh, shoot some film. Dang it. That's right. That's right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bill. Special thanks again to Bill Manning and Mike Gutterman for joining me to discuss music, photography, and how our creative pursuits grow and change over time. Please do check out the show notes to find out how you can see and hear more from them. One of those links will point you to Mike's Bandcamp page, mikegutterman.bandcamp.com, which is where you can find our theme song, Timeless, along with many other compositions that Mike makes available. If you'd like to get in touch with the team at Sunny16, you can do so at sunny16presents at gmail.com. And as John Whitmore might say, always try and be a decent human being. Thank you.